Time world champion, 15 years on tour, an astounding 19 CT victories, seven of those in one year, uh, a record that has been equaled by Kelly, but probably will never get broken. Um, Hall of Famer, Narrabeen's favourite pastry chef, and the only <laughs> living creature on earth with a heart that's colder than a snowman's. <laughs> Damien Hardman, Duma, welcome to Ain't That Swell, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. What an intro. <laughs> <laughs> Life well lived. It, it's uh, it's an amazing, you know, when I started going through, um, you know, just the accomplishments on paper, it is insane. Do you reflect on your life and just, I, I mean, it's funny because with the longevity of Kelly, we forget that pro surfers uh, from your era kind of wound it up really early, like early 30s yeah. in a lot of cases. How long Pretty did much, you? yeah. Once yeah. was, like once you hit thirty, when I was on the tour, you were considered ancient. That's right. So um, I think these days, I don't think anyone even peaks till they're thirty, so um, or even hits their straps. So I think you know everyone's got a lot more life left in them than what we we had. Mm. I was um, when I was on the tour, I was thirty six when I finished, and I was the oldest guy by a couple of years, apart from Oki, who'd just come back on. So. Um, it was, you know, you sort of felt like you were taking someone's spot when you were 36. But looking back on it now, I should have stayed on there for as long <laughs> as I should, could. <laughs> you should have, mate. It's, it, you know, well, mate, uh, you're, long, you're a long time retired. So uh, that's right, my yeah. advice to anyone now is do it as long as you can because yeah. there's no better lifestyle. No, BL says the, says the same thing. Um, yeah, mate. I mean, do you reflect on the things that you achieved in your career much? Do you sort of lie in bed at night and give yourself a little pat on the back, or or sort of sit there, you know, the, the eyes wide, just going, "Wow, that's that's mad." Because I mean, you must nah, be constantly think, reminded watching watching events and stuff. Yeah, no, I don't. I sort of never. I guess I'm pretty down to earth, but you know, I I look back and I'm proud of my achievements, but I never actually um, dwell on them. You know, mm. I think everything's moved on and. Um, that was sort of a another part of life, so I don't dwell on it at all. Do uh, you? People remind you of it every now and again, and you sort of sit back sometimes and go, "Yeah, that was wow. that was pretty cool and was pretty special." But um, I definitely don't dwell on it. No, uh, don't reflect on any of your best pie recipes, and uh... <laughs> no, <laughs> so, uh, I love bringing that up. I love it. I know you do. No, mate, look, I'm looking forward to having a little walk down memory lane now, actually, because we're obviously on the phone to chat about this uh, this big finals climax that's coming up in a few days. Um, Yeah. But but finals day showdowns, uh, where it comes down to the last event or the last day, uh, you've been involved in a few of them. Uh, Your first world title in 87 was one such event. It was a, a huge one. I think it was in Sydney, right? The world title got decided in Manly. And... Yeah, it was in Manly, and I think it came down to the. I think it was five of us that were in contention to win the world title in the last event. Um, and yeah. I guess it was a it was a pretty much a pretty stacked field with the guys that was left in contention. Who was in contention um, for that one? Because that was a that was a big think, one heading out. I think it was um, myself, obviously Gary Elkerton who got second. Um, I think it was Potts, Barton. 
uh, Tom Curran and maybe Tom Carroll. I think I remember so a surfer cover with all of your guys' heads on it. Um, yeah. Surfer Magazine yeah. did the big showdown thing, which leading into like an event like Pipeline makes sense, but leading into sort of uh, onshore dribble at Manly Beach kind of <laughs> popped the balloon a bit. But what was your mindset heading into that day, mate? Did you feel confident that you could do it? Pretty much, yeah. You know, I think I was I was confident. I, we all knew we were in contention coming to that last leg of the Australian um, circuit. You know, I think it come down to Bells and there was an event at uh, Wollongong and um, and then it finished at Manly. So, you know, I, I was pretty much confident that I'd done all the work I needed to do in the off-season. And, you know, in between Hawaii and the Australian leg starting, it was sort of three months, so... I remember my coach Terry Day saying, "You know, you've got this could be your only only opportunity to ever win a world title, so you really need to put the work in." And, and <laughs> it was and only it, backing you up for the one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But it was that was that was the truth, though. That yeah. was, you know, I was in contention for a world title. I'd been on the tour two years, um, and you look back now and you look at all the other guys who've probably been in that situation and haven't sort of grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and had a real go. Um, and that was the reality right then. So it was pretty true, and it sort of fired me up. And I trained like never before. I think myself, Barton, and, and Tom were all training super hard. And um, Were you I training together, like, though? Because, I mean, you're, you're talking massive, massive uh, egos and, and, you know, basically like the, the number no. one guys of their time uh, all yeah, going no, for this did. thing, especially we the three of you from the Northern Beaches, you know. Yeah. No, we didn't train together, and I think back then the rivalry rivalry was really tense. Um, we sort of almost hated each other, I guess, at a point. We were that competitive. Um, I remember, you know, I'd be riding my bike in an early morning ride, which was sort of the start of my preparation for the day, and I'd always pass Tom going the other way with Potts and Peter Manstead, and, you know, you'd sort of there was definitely no love lost, and um, we are all, you know, really focused on what we were doing. Oh, mate. So, um, it, was, oh. it was intense. I would love to see your faces, you know, like a, a close-up view of your faces as you ride past each other. Are you icing yeah. each other out or, or sticking, throwing a stick into their spokes? <laughs> uh, totally icing each other out. Yeah. I think it was, um, you know, Potts was, Potts was super competitive, and, uh, you know, him and Tom were managed by Peter Manstead, who was, a, you know, I guess, a, bit of a maniac as a manager um, and you know he had them fired up and they were doing whatever they needed to do to, to win and, and that's what we were doing. I've heard Barton describe that contest and how heartbroken he was. He really believed that was uh, you know, going to be his title. It was at his home beach. Um, you're from obviously a little bit further up the peninsula at Narrabeen but did you feel like the crowd was behind you or were they? was there oh, sort of a sense I, that they were all behind Barton or how, how did you sort of find it you know, leading I, into today i was sort of oblivious to it to the last day you know because it it sort of built up through the week you know as the week went on and people dropped off and people lost and it sort of come down to the last day and it was i guess for barton there was three of us in contention once me and myself and gary elkin had made the semis barton couldn't win the world title mm. So it really came down. It came down to that one heat with me, and Gary Elkin, and whoever won the world won that heat was the world champion. So that created all this interest, I guess, on the northern beaches, um, and it, pretty much half an Arabian was there. So I just felt like the crowd was behind me. And I remember, well, I remember someone telling me later that when Kong was, you know, that's when Gary wasn't Kong. You know, no one was allowed to call him Kong. Mm. 
uh, he was walking through the crowd and then people were going, hey, Kong, and he'd stop and blow up. And, you know, he was really focused on everyone not calling him Kong for some reason. So um, I think probably that distracted him a little bit, which sort of worked in my favour. So, But, yeah, the crowd, I felt like they were there for me. I felt like I was the only one who could win it on the Northern Beaches. So it was it was mine to lose, I guess. Do you remember um, just on that day feeling any nerves or were you just sort of like building into that, that peak moment, that one heat that decided the title? Oh, it was full nerves. You know, I remember the, I remember winning my quarterfinal and then going home that night and, and thinking, fuck, if I win this heat tomorrow, I'm the world champion. And I remember having a really bad, bad night's sleep. You know, you're sort of dwelling on it, but up super early and yeah. It was, um, I'm sure, I'm sure Kong was in the same boat, you know. Um, there was a lot of expectation and there was a lot of pressure when it come down to that one heat. It's, um, you know, it's the ultimate pressure situation. Far and out. Someone said the other day, they said, you know, there's probably only a couple of people in the whole history of surfing who've actually had the heat come down to two people and either of you were going to win the world title. Mm. Um, I know it happens now. It's guaranteed to happen in the format they've got, but prior to the format change that they've got now, that's, it was pretty rare for it to happen. And you always have a heat where you're, if you won that heat, you were the world champion, but you actually never had too many heats where the two guys in the heat were both gunning for the world title. And how did it feel, mate? Once the hooter blew? Oh, it was more the start of the finish. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, I mean, I, uh, yeah, to take us through that heat quickly, just, um, you know, like it's it's all on the line, the hooter goes, you got the crowd on your side, as you said. It, what... Well, I think it was sort of, you know, for Queenscliff or Manly, it was sort of, the waves were actually reasonable. It was sort of three feet and really clean and running little rights, mm. but it was really inconsistent. So I remember that it took us, I don't know, probably seven or eight minutes till one of us got a wave. And we were just, there was no priority and we were just hassling the shit out of each other. Um, and then once, once I think I got the first wave and then that sort of, I felt fine as soon as I stood up and sort of got the ball rolling. Mm. Now, before that, that's seven or eight minutes of not riding a wave and waiting and letting waves go. And it was, um, it was pretty nerve wracking. Oh, and then so, the herder goes, mate, and, you, and you're the world champ. But just, what's the feeling? Yeah, like? I guess it was, it was more relief than anything. You know, such a big build-up um, and so much nerves and so much anticipation it was almost like, thank God that's over. Yeah. So, wow. you know, it, it was an amazing feeling. Mm. Um, but it was sort of it was sort of good in a way winning it in the semis because um, I felt after that all the pressure was off and I surfed against Barton in the final. And, you know, I really wanted to win the co-contest because that's what I grew up watching. Yeah. Um, so to me, on the day, that was almost as important as, as winning the world title. So I've, I felt like after that, the sort of pressure was off and I could relax and I definitely felt like I surfed better in the final and the semis. But, um, yeah, it was an amazing build-up and it was an amazing day and it was, um, yeah, it was just relief, I guess. Oh, man, far out. That's just so cool to relive that. It's, uh, yeah, as you say, just such a, a huge moment to actually surf for the world title in the heat against your, your number one you know, rival. Yeah. Um, what about, were you sort of, had you already earned the moniker of the Iceman by this stage? Is, was that something that uh, you were known for uh, just being a steely competitor? Um, I was, yeah. I don't know if I actually had the, 
I probably didn't have the, the nickname in that at that point. I think Sean Thompson sort of coined that a couple of years later. But uh, I was always a really patient competitor, and I, I think I was a really smart competitor. So, um, you know, I, I knew what I had to do in a heat, and I sort of knew how to beat most people, um, whether, you know, different tactics and, you know, you're just using your brain to win as much as you're surfing. So mm. um, I was, yeah, I was definitely uh, – known for um i guess having nerves of steel um even when i was younger so um but you were also ruthless and merciless i mean you and barton are famous for just terrorizing your opponents i mean the, the classic story of him making oki cry and then uh dorian told us a great one years ago of you just paddling him around and making him feel so mad that he just completely lost his marbles and started having a crack at you about your style and the way that you surfed. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, uh, he said that, you know, after that, you made an effort to sort of seek him out and let him know that you admired his passion, which <laughs> do you have some sort of like Schadenfreudian pleasure watching your opponents just their, their resolve just turn to mush? Was it something you actually enjoyed doing? No, it was just part of the game. You know, when I when I first started competing against, I guess the guy, the generation before me. You know, I think one of my first events was I surfed against Mr. Mr. and a man of man heat, and Shane Horan, and those guys were the most ruthless competitors ever. Mm. So, you know, you just you had to do what you had to do, and that's just the way we were. We grew up learning to compete. You know, you you're out there not to make friends, but to win, and you just it was just sort of win at all costs. So I sort of blame the guys who were before me for the way the way we all ended up, um, <laughs> and pretty much you know all our generation was savage in the water. You know, mm. competing against Kong and Potts. You know, Potts was definitely the the most savage, ruthless competitor I surfed against. You know, he'd be growling at you and spitting at you and grunting, and it, you know he basically, if he could have, he would have fought you in the water. Yeah. So it's um. It's all changed now, though. It's uh, a lot more civil, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, the, so, it helps when you're not having to paddle around uh, priority buoys that are like priority. half a K out to sea. Yeah, I know. It's so much better. You know, the, the introduction of, of the priority buoy was good, but uh, getting rid of it was even better. And so. what about BL, mate? I mean, um, you and he, as I said, you know, pretty ruthless, really, really, you know, high heat intellect. How did you find your battles against him over the years? Um, they were they were tough. You know, the first year I went on tour, I didn't have a license, so I actually travelled with Barton, and he taught me so much. So the first year I did the tour, I didn't have a license, um, so I travelled with Barton, and Barton had had a license. We were both sponsored by, I think, Mango, maybe the first year that I was on tour, um, and he sort of took me under his wing and. I learned so much from him that first year that I travelled with him, um, but I'm sure at the time he never thought it was going to come back to haunt him, <laughs> some of the lessons he taught me. So I think uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm sure if Barton had his time again, there's no way he would have taken me under his wing on the on my first year on the tour. So oh, well, it, it was, did come to bite him hard because the world title that he thought was going to be his, you snatched. But, Pretty much, yeah. So, but, well, let's fast forward a year, mate, because um, you experienced that that finals day uh, sort of, you know, relief and exultation, or uh, you know, celebration, and you got to the very pinnacle. But then the following year, 
you're there again, and it's going into a much different arena. You, you've got Pipeline. You've got the best Pipeline surfer ever, pretty much, um, or, or definitely uh, the peak of his prime in uh, 88. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, well, were you number one heading into the Billabong Pro? Was I think I was, I think I was number one. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I forget where everyone else was placed. And, and so uh, but, this time though, you, you have to suffer the, you know, agony of, of losing a world title. So can you, yeah, well, I think at that, I think going into that last day at pipe, well, it was actually the bill of long pro. It wasn't the pipe masters mm. that year, but, um, I was quite a long way in front. I think, um, pretty much I had to lose first round of the event, but had to win it to win the world title. Um, and I, I came up against Oki, who was a wild card. He wasn't actually on the tour that year. And, you know, to, to draw Oki, I think he'd already won pipe twice at that point. Mm. Um, as a wild card was probably as hard a wild card as you could have got at that stage. You know, he was definitely harder than the Hawaiians um, because he was more contest savvy and he had the ability as well. So um, I, I, looking back on that, I sort of went out there with the attitude of I was trying to prove myself rather than trying to win the heat. Um, and in hindsight, I probably should have just surfed a normal heat that I would normally surf, and I probably would have, I would have had a really good chance. Um, but yeah, it was a totally different scenario to go into. I remember I lost my heat. I think Tom Carroll lost on an interference to Todd Holland or someone else. Mm. He lost pretty early, and the waves were good. You know, it was good pipe. It wasn't heavy pipe. It was big, but it was really good pipe. Um, so pretty much, I had to sit on the beach. The whole day and and <laughs> with the voodoo doll prodding it, hoping hoping Barton would lose. Oh man! Um, so it was like every heat he'd get through, and I was like, "Fuck, he's not going to get through the next one." Um, and then he'd win the next one. So for him, it was like it was it was equally as great a way to win. Yeah, um, a world title. So, mate, you know, I find I, it completely fascinating that you know if you sort of look at. Felipe heading to uh, Chopu and everyone wanted him to have a crack. You know, everyone who, who I guess, you know, I guess, I don't know what you'd call them, like hyper fans of pro surfing or super critics yeah. or whatever. They wanted him to go over there and actually send it. And, yeah. you know, in that first heat, he did it and he got a couple of sevens. But what you're saying uh, now with the benefit of hindsight and looking back on that contest of you just – looking to make a name for yourself in those waves and wanting to charge and prove yourself. Like if you'd adopted a sort of Philippe's strategy of just, you know, keeping the body and the mind, uh, you know, in the moment and with the, the bigger picture end goal in place, then that seems like the wiser choice. Well, I think, I don't know what Felipe did. I watched his heats at Chopu, um, but he definitely, um, you know, he sort of sat back in that first heat. But I think, you know, I think you just, you you got to do what you normally do. You just got to win the way you normally win. And when you start changing your surfing and your tactics and your strategy to, to impress other people, that's when it seems to go wrong. Mm. You know, and the heat that I had against Oki, I think I had to win that heat and I probably would have won the world title um, because I was that far in front. But, I went out there going, you know, I, I hadn't proven myself in a way. My goal was to just take off on the biggest wave I could find. And I actually waited for 15 minutes of a 25-minute heat to get that wave. 
finally got the wave, which sort of peaked on the second reef and, and pulled in and fucking put my hand in the air when I was coming out, which I'd never do um, to claim it. And the fucking the lip just took my head off. Oh. And in hindsight, that was the wave. If I had made that wave, I probably would have won the heat. Um, so I, ne- I, I don't think I ever claimed again in my career after that. So I think you just got to do what you normally do and focus on you and, and, and play the game how you normally play well, it. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it makes – yeah, it don't makes, listen to the outside noise. It makes me appreciate Felipe's strategy heading into Tahiti now. Paco actually said that as well. He was just going, mate, why, why would you risk injury or, you know, oh, no, a- anything Felipe, other than the world title if if you don't have to? Oh, no, I think Felipe, you know, surfing a choker with everyone in the channel and all the pressure on you. I think he's like, you gotta, you gotta go and you gotta go hard at Chopu. Mm. I think his strategy was wrong. You know, I think in the, in the heat, he lost against Hedgie. I think he had to go. Um, he didn't get, you know, rewarded for it. Like he probably thought he should have, but got it. You couldn't have got a harder wild card to draw out there. Nah, I think. No, and that was, that was an amazing, uh, amazing event for so many different reasons, but that narrative in particular was closely watched, but just going back to um, 88, mate, uh, you know, Tom's loss in that event uh, is just really well documented. As I said, you know, the best pipeline surfer in the world at the time, eh, unbackable favourite in those sorts of conditions. He yeah. gets done on the paddling interference. The third world title just goes gurgling down the drain. Uh, all the devastation and, and how that affected him in the years that followed is well known. You know, he never sort of even hit the tour again with the same kind of moxie or belief. But yeah. what we don't know is how you reacted to your loss there because you've gone from the highest high to pretty much the lowest low. There's no greater place you can fall or greater height you can fall from than number one in the world, defending world champion to watching it slip through your fingers. So how did that affect you, mate? Well, it didn't affect me greatly, that's for sure. I think um, you know, I was lucky in that I'd won a world title. So I, I got the monkey off my back and I, I felt like I'd, overachieved just winning a world title. So for me, it, it didn't, you know, I didn't go into the doldrums. I never became an alcoholic because of it. I just got on with life. Mm. Um, and I enjoyed competing, enjoyed traveling. So I just kept, you know, giving it a hundred percent and, and I guess approached it the same way as when I won the world title as when I lost the world title. You know, I think if you asked, if I had not won the first world title, it would have been a totally different, story mm. you know there would have i would have been you know i wouldn't have won a world title i would have got close a couple of times and you know i look back and i look at some of the guys who who did get second and they got second more than once like they, they've never recovered mm. you know some of them are just still battling their demons yeah so thank god i wasn't one of those guys did the loss in 88 88- play any role uh even in terms of just lessons learned uh as you headed into 91 and, and took that crown um yeah what well, i think in 91 i i'd sort of i figured out pretty quickly that I, I the mistake i made in 88 was you know worrying about outside noise so mm. i think in 91 i just did, did what i had to do and focused on on me and competing how i normally competed and surfing how i normally surfed um, and I guess, yeah, and that sort of, that definitely helped me. Mm. Did you, did that one come down to a, a final day? I can't actually remember. Was that, or was that sort of wrapped um, up early? 
No, I won it. Well, it came down to the last event at Pipe, um, and I think that was the year Tom won Pipe um, with that heat with Derek Ho and oh, Glenn Winter and myself. Classic. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in that. I was in that final, um, but I. I guess I'd clinched the world title on the second last day of the event. You know, once I got through my second heat of the, of the event, then I was far enough in front that I couldn't be beaten. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was, yeah. So it was, it didn't come down to the last day, but it came down to the last event, but the same thing. I, I felt like getting into that final with those guys was such an amazing experience. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a weird final. Like Tom was out there, Going, going, him and Derek were just like they were just at each other, and I guess me and Winton were just sort of at each other as well. Mm. Um, and I think I'm sure Winton's whole game plan was just to beat me out there. He <laughs> probably wasn't going to beat Tom and Derek, so he just absolutely hassled the shit oh out of me to the <laughs> point where I, fuck every single wave I paddled for, he would fucking block me. And it was it was one of the most frustrating heats I've ever surfed because there was no priority then. Oh. It was just whoever was on the inside had right away. So it was um, it was a really frustrating final, but um, it was a good final to be. There is no greater moment than Derek and Tom drifting up the face of that set, and you know what transpired when Derek the one sort that of Tom, Derek sort of jumped off the side of his board. Yeah, and then Tom just and- swings and knifes it. Yeah, no, it was like I was right. I was just on the outside. Of, I was like five yards on the outside of those guys. And when Tom swung for that wave, I was like, fuck, he's dead. He ain't making that. It was just such a bizarre takeoff. Mm. Um, and it was like Derek jumped off his board because he thought he was going to get sucked over the falls. That's how late it was. And Tom was like just underneath him. So Derek was actually in a better spot to take it, but he figured he he wasn't going to make it. So, you know, if someone like Derek with that sort of experience is pulling back and Tom's taken off under him, that just goes to show how critical that moment was. Oh, oh I can't believe you were just right in the thick of it, Duma. Oh, yeah. Get was, goosebumps um, thinking about that heat. Yeah, it was an amazing heat. It was like the one was, it was big pipe and it was like chunky, mean pipe. Mm. Yeah, so, mate, look. Let's let's talk about this year because I think we're at the dawn of a new ice age. I believe. Yeah. Uh, two of the coldest competitors I've seen since you were lifting trophies, I reckon, with uh, Jack and Ethan. Uh, what have you enjoyed about the way that these guys have approached their year? Uh, aside, you know, aside from the fact that they're just Aussies doing sick, which we've you know been waiting around a, a little bit for on the men's side of things. Yeah, what have you actually enjoyed about the way that they compete and the way that they're surfing? You know, I think for two guys who've They've got so much potential and have, I guess, had so much expectation on their shoulders for a, quite a long time. Um, it's good to see, it's good seeing him live up to it. Um, you know, and it's funny, you know, when those guys first got on tour, they really struggled, um, particularly Ethan, but they both got the ability. Um, I think both of them have just taken it in their stride and I've really enjoyed both their surfings, but I really like watching Jack's, the way he competes. You know, it sort of reminds me of, so I guess, sort of our generation mm. um, where, he, you know, he backs himself and plays his own game and just really focuses on what he's doing. Um, but he's definitely uh, he's definitely got a bit of Iceman about him, I think. He's um, <laughs> pretty, 
pretty cool, calm and collected and, you know, he doesn't die wondering. You know, he, he waits for the best waves and, and surfs them as good as you can surf them normally. It's the first competitor I've really seen since Gabby who, uh, and Gabby is the king of it, but how do you manage to keep your emotions in check when you need a big score and there's 30 seconds on the clock? I mean, I just haven't felt really in the last, since Kelly was really in his prime, uh, and, and aside from Gabby, sorry, mate, that people are backing themselves in those scenarios. If anything, it feels like a miracle if they get it, whereas Jack feels like he's just waiting for the opportunity and he, and he does back himself to get it. And he, he sort of seems like he does it consistently. I think he's just got a belief that he, he knows that he's surfing well enough, he's fit enough, and he's done all, all the work. And he knows if the opportunity arises, he's going he's gonna to deliver. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's just confidence in your ability and confidence in your mindset. And I think, um, yeah, he sort of does it consistently where he'll need a score and he, he just waits and waits. And it's not, I guess the old saying, you create your own luck. He's definitely doing that. Um, and he's pulling it off. So, you know, I think if it was um, anywhere but trestles, you'd definitely say he was, the favourite going into the into the final series, mm. and I think it's um, you know Trestles is a real leveller. It obviously favours um, Felipe because it's his home. I guess it's his home break almost. But uh, and that wave is just made for his surfing. So it's it's sort of a bummer that it's finishing there. I think if mm. it's finishing in, you know, I would still like to see the tour finish in Hawaii or somewhere that's a little bit more exciting. Mm. I'll tell you one thing, another thing that they're up against these guys is that the competitors, Kanoa, Italo, Felipe, they're, they're real showmen. They're real fiery and uh, they definitely work the crowd to their advantage, I think. You know, if you look at the events where they, they seem to uh, really have enjoy a lot of success, there's always like that capacity crowd on the beach and they fire them up and they, they really use it to lift. Um, yeah. How did you deal with that in your day? You know, the Potsers, the Ockies, the Curlacs, those loud sort of huge personalities that had used that sort of thing to try and rattle you. How did you get under their skin? Well, I guess we were all a little bit less known, I think, when we were competing because we didn't have the benefit of Instagram and the internet and everything being so accessible straight away. So I think we were all, generally we're all a little bit less well-known. Mm. You know, people, the, the core surf fans knew us. They only knew us from what they read in a magazine. Mm. Whereas now you, you sort of feel like you know these guys personally. You know, they're putting out Instagram clips of their, their surfing, their life. Um, so I think they're definitely, they're, I think they're greater showmen than what our generation was. Mm. You know, I think someone like, you know, we, we, when we did get big crowds, I think they pretty much supported everyone. Not equally, but they definitely supported everyone. Whereas now, I think it's 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 a big difference between um, a guy that's got good crowd support and a guy that doesn't. You know, you look at Kelly when he surfed in the Narrabeen event, um, or Idolo or Gabrielle, they definitely had the crowd support, um, and you'd, you'd see it. The whole beach would basically leave when they finished surfing. <laughs> so I think. How a, do you, know, you combat that though, mate? When you, because <clears throat> um, even in your day, like you know there was superstars and the core crowd would get behind them. And, uh, you know, how do you do it? Or how do you think these guys, Jack and Ethan are going to handle 
the noise and the fervor that's going to you know be behind oh, Kanoa for sure, and uh, Italo and Philippe are going to be doing these sort of hail mary ten turns that are really going to bring the crowd into it. Like, are you surfing against the whole beach, or is or is that just sort of? Well, I think that's what I think. I think you're surfing against yourself, mm. and that's the attitude you've got to have. Is you're surfing against, you're worrying about your performance, and you're worrying about your your immediate competitor, but you can't worry about the rest of the show. I think you've got to block out all that noise and just focus on yourself. Mm. I think the guy who does that the best is probably going to be the guy that wins. You know, yeah. someone like um, Gabriel or Italo, you know, they've got those big Hail Mary moves, which can sort of galvanize a crowd on the beach. But, you know, I think in this instance in, at Trestles, you know, there'll, there'll be a lot of Brazilians there, but it's not like they're surfing in, front, at, in Brazil. Mm. They're surfing in America, so um, I think that you know, there's no. I think apart from Kanoa, there's no one that's going to be have overwhelming crowd support over the other guys. Mm. I think it's going to be pretty even. Wow, that's a that's cool. I, uh, yeah, I really can't wait to see how that plays out. I, I guess you know, good surfing gets gets anyone who understands it on their feet. It doesn't really. Yeah, it's not going to come into it. But look, at times this year, even despite their sort of you know. Uh, sub-zero demeanors at times. Robbo and Ethan have both, you know, exploded with emotion. I've never seen Ethan. I never even thought I'd see Ethan claim a wave ever. And yeah. uh, at J-Bay, you know, he, he let it fly. We know what happened to you and the single occasion that you dared claim a wave. It cost your world title. <laughs> yeah. But is, is tapping into that emotion going to be uh, kind of like a little bit of a key? Like, do you, do you think those guys should think not, let I, themselves celebrate if they're feeling it? I think I think the way the whole thing's designed now, you have to mm. I think the way it's designed now. You, you you need to sort of get as much support as you can off the beach, um, and if you do that by claiming or I don't know, you know, you just got to find a way to 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 you know make yourself lift um, and get the crowd behind you. Because I think in that format, which is just dog eat dog, you know, you lose, you're out, it's all over. Um, it's pretty important that you really keep your keep your momentum going and you keep your uh, your energy up. So however you need to do it, that's what you got to do. Mate, uh, if you were in Camp Robbo or Camp Ethan uh, from one Iceman to another, what would you what would you be saying to these guys? Uh, I'd just be saying the same thing as I got told to myself. When I was in that situation, you may only have, ever have one shot at this. So don't die wondering. Just give it everything you've got and um, – don't leave any stone unturned. And I think the, the key is you've got to surf to your strengths and surf, do what you're good at. Don't listen to the outside noise. Just focus on your performance and the immediate guy you're against and that's it. Keep it keep it simple. Oh, you that's know? a fair ramp up. Do them, pumped, mate. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, no, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. It's um, I really hope and love to see an Aussie win. I don't care who wins it, but as long as an Aussie wins, it'll be great. Same, mate. All right. Well, thanks, Ace, for your time. No worries, Blakey. Good, good chatting Look to you. Look forward to uh, coming down and uh, ripping to a couple of uh, nice couple hot of pies. Ones. Nice hot pies with you guys. <laughs> couple of cold ones would be better. <laughs> see you, mate. All right. See you, mate. Competition surfing. Rashies. Oh, yeah. Maybe I can get Tua, tua, 
nerdies.